This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing games and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Thursday, November 12th of 2020, it's episode 189. In this episode, Breaking for the Mundane, plus a rundown of our current game engagements, a negative COVID test, shopping and fishing, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. And I'm Jenny. And we're back. Yes. You know, like we do. <laughs> That's exciting. Uh, feeling probably a little less stressed overall, which is thrilling. I mean, there's still 2020 happening, but, yeah. you know, it's a thing. <laughs> Couple of quick news and notes. First, Peter, uh, negative COVID test. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. By the way, uh, just to go into this a little bit more, for those of you that are a little bit skeptical... Masks work really well. <laughs> the The situation that I was in is I was up on top of a ladder over the guy who had COVID below me. Uh, because I was doing off-site work, I was a little extra careful with masks. So I wore um, an N95 mask and a cloth mask over it. He was wearing like one of those surgical style masks. I mean, I was in close proximity to this guy talking to him, you know, like literally standing right above him on a ladder and stuff for probably a solid half hour or so. He was positive and I did not catch it. So, yeah. There you go. Wear a mask. Mm -hmm. Wear a mask, yep. folks. Mm -hmm. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. Don't yep. stick your finger in your eye. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All that good stuff. And this is just general good advice because, you know, flu season's coming up. Yeah. Too. Yeah. This, this helps not just with, you know, COVID, but pretty much mm -hmm. any <laughs> aerosol virus so and there's yeah there's lots of those out there as it turns out mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. we got Tell back to gaming too we did a session of our yeah. saturday game finally so yeah it was exciting yeah it was it, it, was, it was my birthday and it was a good one yeah yeah i'm glad and also slightly belated happy birthday on air yeah. um See. but yeah it was good we kind of just eased back into things no combat very few dice rolls in general just a mm -hmm. lot of role playing we got kind of a big uh thing that had been looming over the game for a while out of the way which was fun and we managed by pure chance to have the silliest possible way for it to happen <laughs> all right just to, to very quickly summarize one of the characters uh acquired lycanthropy very early on in the campaign and i was um only vaguely keeping track of time. So I was like, yeah, sure, when we have some time, we'll, we'll have a full moon and, you know, where, where boars will happen. Or, well, one where boar. And by sheerest luck, the party was traveling, rolled a random encounter, and ended up just finding a random homestead as part of the random encounter. So it was like, can we just spend your, the night in your barn? Yeah, don't disturb the animals. <laughs> definitely won't happen <laughs> full moon so just, it was delightful yeah um, um, my character chased off after the lycanthrope while the lycanthrope tore the barn door off and left the other two characters behind to deliver a baby cow that was being born <laughs> this was all going on yes basically just as cartoonish as we could possibly make yeah. it and now the party uh, has ended up in charge of an inn run by the Zentarum, and uh, that's that's definitely going to go just fine because nobody is committing crimes. Oh, For no. those who who don't know things about the Zentarum, uh, the Zentarum are all uh, liars and spies and thieves. Oh yeah, so They're the, the classic evil faction. Yeah, <laughs> it's all so. the crimes. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Think the Scorpion clan from, like, Legend of the Five Rings, but without any of the Scorpion's redeeming qualities. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cross them with, like, just the most cartoonish anime or Batman mobsters, too. Like... <laughs> A <laughs> little bit of that, yeah. yeah. Anyway, they're a lot of fun. But it, it's delightful, and it's good to be rolling some dice again. Uh, it we is. We also had a pretty good session of our City on the Hill game. Yeah. So. And that actually was kind of the same. We kind of eased back into that, didn't really do any combat. Of course, City on the Hill is always combat light, unless we're playing, like, Feng Shui or something. Right. Yeah, it was good. There was definitely some tension. It's not like combat wasn't on the table. Yeah. But Although, everybody sort of managed to talk around it, defuse things, change some minds. It was good. Uh, I have written myself into a huge corner. <laughs> so just with one little throw off, you know, like just off the cuff line that I just invented on the fly. Uh, so that's that's real good. <laughs> um, if you need some help getting out of the corner, let's talk off air and I, I will... Point Faramond uh, in directions got, that can help remove you from the corner. I've got an idea. Be. I've got an idea. All right. It's uh, it's just one of those things where it's like, oh, well, I just threw out a line. Like, I realized this after the fact. I just threw out one little line that has defined what the major plot is going to be going forward. And I don't <laughs> think anybody can go- could guess what that is. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, one of those fun little moments. I've had those GM. as a GM. I was like, oh, no. What am I going to do about this? You know? mm-hmm. Players blissfully unaware. You know? Yep. Oh, yeah. He obviously just has been planning this all along. Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. As I yes. wad notes up and throw them into a convenient fire. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. Good times. All right. We have a kind of a, a big gaming question. Not super scripturally deep, I would say. Although we have a lot of scripture that's relevant, oddly enough. But this is one of those gaming questions that comes up a lot, and we kind of wanted to talk about it. We're talking about, you know, turning the mundane into something interesting, especially when the players want to do something mundane in lieu of the plot. So, yeah, big topic. But first, we have a Patreon question, which means I get to roll a die. Also, one of my well, favorite parts. Before you do. do that, as I understand it from our talk before we started recording, we have a decent number of Patreon questions, but they're from a relatively small number of people. So that's right. If you have, if you are a Patreon backer of ours and you have not submitted a question in a while, there's plenty of space on the table for your questions. Send us questions, yes. people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yes, please do. And if you don't know how to do that, just message us through Patreon. Send them to us, or you know, DM them to us on Twitter or the you know, Discord. That's saving the game, or yeah, post them in the Discord. You know, any of these are. Totally fine. If you post them on Discord, we're going to want to make sure we know, you know, which Patreon account you actually yeah. link up with. Yeah. Uh, all that sort of stuff. But we'll work that out when you say Yeah. It and that's us. one of those However things where it's it like literally us, just DM like who you are on Patreon and your question straight to any of the three of us. Yeah. Granted, me, it will probably be the easiest. But if you can only get a hold of Jenny for some reason, yeah. she's very trustworthy and will pass the info to us. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, or, you know, just email us, hosts at stgcast.org. Works. Whatever yep. works for you. All right. I got to die. means I'm going to roll it. Like that. That's a six. All right. Um, oh, neat question, actually, from Alex Huggett. How many games do you have on the go, and how often do you play? Just one. Uh, and it's weekly, and it's the Saturday game. I... I 
did sort of exit multiple games relatively recently, like within the last year, just because work got a little bit messy. Um, so I have I have less mental bandwidth to hold stories in my head. Um, so yeah, for me, just the one right now. I actually have three going right now. I have the D&D game that I'm running on Saturdays that we just talked about. We have the City on the Hill game, which is only once a month on average. So not especially demanding, but because it is for a actual play, I try and put a little more effort into that, right? Um, I, I, I wing it a little bit less. And then I'm playing in a Star Wars game that I've talked about here some uh, using Impulse Drive as the system. Uh, that's every Monday night. So it's been in we have I, I'm in two regular weekly games, but there's a lot of leeway for me to not show up or for us to cancel. So it that's not as strict a schedule as it sounds. OK, so before I answer for myself, by the way, I'm also in three, but are you liking Impulse Drive as much as you thought you would when you read it? More. Oh, Ooh. excellent. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that was that was one that you pitched at me pretty hard, and I, I spent some time reading it, and it was like, yeah, this does look like a really nice system. So I'm, it's I'm really gratified good. to hear it works as well as it looks like it would. Yeah. It does help that I have a GM who really understands how to run games like this. Veteran PBTA GM. Yeah, and a veteran PBTA player who actually playtests a lot of this stuff. He was actually in the Impulse Drive playtest. Oh, nice. Uh, he's, he's, he's very active on the Gauntlet forums uh, and in the, the Gauntlet gaming community. So lots of that stuff. But, you know, I've fallen right into it and really enjoy it and have had some wonderful moments in the past couple of sessions. So, yeah, it really lends itself to role-playing very well. Good. I'm also in three, um, I, you know, like my two co-hosts, I am in the Saturday game. And then, um, like Grant, I am in City on a Hill as one of the players. And then I have a Sunday group as well. And that's been a bunch of different stuff. Like, I am going to, I think, not this coming weekend, but the weekend after that, I'll be picking up the kind of high-level 5e campaign that I've been running Player characters all just ticked over to level 13 recently, so um, yeah. yeah. And then um, there's also, we did some playtesting of the advanced 5e rules that um, are getting worked on, which, boy, was that ever fun. Those are looking really good, everybody. Like, if you haven't cool. gone and grabbed those playtest documents, go check them out. Maneuvers are great, and so are exploration yeah, knacks. They, they look interesting, Yeah, that's for sure. The, the one thing that... Um, I, I, the the tiniest criticism that I have is Roll20 doesn't have a specific character sheet for this. And so you know how there's that kind of long box over on the right side where all your class abilities and stuff go? Because yep. there's more of those, that gets really, really long and drops like mm. way down with this. If it helps, even just for the uh, basic 5th edition monk, that box gets really long because it's nothing but special abilities. Yeah, I would imagine Hala probably had quite a bit of stuff in there, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was like three scrolls. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, other than that one little quibble, though, it's that was fun. One of our mods mm -hmm. actually is in that gaming group, and he or actually two of them are in there. And um, one of them ran the playtest session, so I got a chance to play with those people. Uh, oh, nice. They're, they're also doing... Um, 
a Tales from the Loop game that's being run by Brian from uh, Geek at Arms on my off weeks, since I'm only doing every other week. Uh, I had the option mm-hmm. to join that one, and I just didn't really have the bandwidth for it. So, Yeah, I hear that. Mm-hmm. It, it, it occurs to me, and this is something I'll make sure to add to our topic list here, we should do an episode on effectively prepping for games. Like using your time efficiently mm. to prep. Yeah. Yeah. I've got some thoughts. <laughs> I should not be giving advice on that. <laughs> I assure you all of my advice will be hard won. Let's just say that. <laughs> uh, but I feel like that's one of those things that people might be interested in because I know yeah. it's a common problem. Yeah. If if we then go on to how to improv GM, I'm all for that because... Yeah. I, that actually, would actually, you know be what? A that'd be a like, two-episode series. Can, oh, yeah. Or a little episode duology kind of thing. Let's let's yeah. do those for the next two, in fact. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds good, especially with, like, Thanksgiving and yeah, Christmas yeah, coming out. Yeah, like stuff that's that we don't have to do a whole bunch of like, research for and we can just share yeah. learnt, lived experience. Yeah. That seems great. So yeah. There we go. All right. So, listeners, well I'm you of what's coming for the next couple. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> All right. Uh, working all this out live. We love it. Yeah. All right. Alex, that's a fun question. Thank you. Yeah, you got us to plan two episodes on the air. I don't yeah. think that's ever <laughs> happened before. So well done. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's a, it's a simple question, right? Like, how many do you have and how often do you play? But it's going to turn into how do we juggle that? Yeah. yeah. That'll be good. Thanks, Alex. Yeah. And if you want to send your own questions in, like we said, message us however you want. And in order to be able to do that, you got to back us on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. It helps keep the show going. So thank you. Yep. All right, we got some scripture. Yep. Let's read that scripture. Uh, This is Ecclesiastes 5.18. I have seen what is best for people here on earth. They should eat and drink and enjoy their work because the life God has given them on earth is short. And we have Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 to 40. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly, I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 17. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. So our topic tonight, as we said a couple minutes ago, is 
Breaking for the mundane. And by this, we mean those moments when players stop doing adventure stuff and stop following the plot and start and stop fighting and exploring and investigating and generally speaking, doing what the game is nominally about and instead do things that are on the surface less exciting. Going shopping, going fishing, sitting in a tavern, talking to people, whatever it is. And there's a couple things that we want to talk about this. We all kind of have some individual notes. And what was fascinating when I was reading through them, Peter, Jenny, and I, all three focused on very different aspects. We really did. Of this. Mm-hmm. I've kind of found it fascinating reading the outline, too. I was like, huh, I didn't think of it in that way at all, but I'm glad you did. And I thought <laughs> yeah, that about like, both of your stuff. Because Peter... You know, Peter got to the outline first. He said he sets the outlines up most of the time. And, you know, he was kind of doing a like who, what, when, where, why and how writing advice kind of thing for like, how do we do these scenes? And I'm sitting here going, well, why is the scene happening? And and Jenny's over here saying this is let's let's take this and run with it and talk about how to actually play it out, you know, with the players. And so we all are kind of bringing interesting <laughs> things to it, which is weirdly meta yeah <laughs> because i think these scenes where players want to do something else is players trying to take a break and get something out of the game that maybe they're not getting and they want to just kind of take a rest right uh jenny i know you're you're fond of talking about ma yeah yeah um ma is um i think it's a japanese term for that, that describes the space between clapping. So, and and I think we've talked about this on the mics a we few have, times a before. A couple of times, yeah. In, in case you've you've not heard of it, it's um, if you just have you know the the actual sound wave of a clap constantly, it's cacophonous, it's messy, it's terrible. But if you take breaks between the noise, it has more meaning and it gives momentum to the the noise as it as yep. it were and if we want to talk about this in like a more structured storytelling way we can talk about story beats and rising and falling action and mm-hmm. rising and falling tension all that sort of stuff but a lot of times that's what players are seeking i personally think that most of the time when players are doing like a little side thing that is player driven you know hey we we want to go do something mundane they are trying to get something into the game that they haven't gotten from, and this is in big air quotes, following the plot. Okay? Because following the plot can mean a bunch of different things. Yeah. It can mean not just the the plot, but like whatever the game is about, both in terms of the story thread, but also the themes and the mechanics and all the assumptions of it may not be satisfying all of their needs. I think this is an interesting concept, and I think that this is certainly true in some cases, but my experiences with this have been entirely different because I have gamed with kids and as a kid. Sure. So. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've got a different idea. If you want to further expand on yours, absolutely do so. Okay. Well, I think there is some some overlap here because one of the things that people want is a chance to roleplay. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I know and, when and, I engage with this sort of thing, that's one of the things that I'm often trying to do is just mm-hmm. get a, an opportunity to express character or interact with the. I mean, to use an example, how many times did we find an excuse to go interact with Rishi in your colony game because we liked him so much mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Sand yeah. in the Shadowrun game because we liked him so much? Well, and those are NPCs, but I think a lot of times people just want to role play between other players at the table as well sure yeah right and so just by not following the plot by doing something that the gm didn't really plan for you kind of get away from i'm going to say this in in the most over-the-top way the clutches of the gm okay (laughs) you know where where the the gm's got everything set up and then when you run so far away you know so far off the tracks the gm just kind of has to go "Uh, okay you guys figure out what you're doing while i come up with something no no we got this Okay, carry on then. It's just sort of a, a freeing sort of way to just do their own thing. And I think that's very valuable, and I'll have more to say about that in a little bit. Yeah. I think it's also a chance to just express character. Not just explore roleplay, but just show off a little bit, right? Hey, I want to figure out something about my character or kind of highlight something about my character. Get my character into into the game a little bit more. Jenny actually does a fair amount of this in the Saturday game with Croucher. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. I will fully admit, I think my viewpoint on this is different from yours, Grant, because I'm the one who does this and is a pain in the butt for the GM most of the time. <laughs> but it's not a pain in the butt. Fair. Okay. I, I will. Okay. In my earlier years of being a player, it was absolutely a pain in the butt for the GM. <laughs> okay. So, I can't vouch for that. So yeah, but. yeah. You you were not there when I was sixteen and and you know playing a an annoying halfling wizard. So no, but I was also there when I was first learning to role play, and yeah. I think we've all done this. Yes, you know, yes. and anybody who's an experienced gamer can kind of look back half fondly, half embarrassedly, and go, "Yeah, those early days yeah, were a we, thing." <laughs> yeah, it's fine, uh, but I think it's more than just. I want to show off my character. I think sometimes it's like, I don't know something about my character and I'd like to find that out. Mm -hmm. I actually have been doing this a lot in the Impulse Drive Star Wars game. My character, a lot of times I don't go into a game with a fully understood character, Mm -hmm. right? I have broad outlines of something, uh, a couple of tension points, and then a lot of it is, all right, well, let's figure out what this means for the character in play. I, you know, and of course, I'd, I'd like to stop there for a second because I think sometimes people think that's not great for some reason. That is totally fine, and that is probably more players than it is not. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. W- with Croucher, I took a very basic obsession and then extrapolated from there through emergent play. And um, it's been amazing. Croucher is a delightful yeah. character. Thank you. I did not picture Lambert as being nearly as like hand-wringy and introspective as he was at first. Mm-hmm. I just didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I those aspects made him an incredibly rewarding character to play. Uh, sometimes a little bit of a uncomfortable or painful even one because of, <laughs> you know, the, the stuff that I was kind of deliberately exploring with him. But yeah, like, I guess before I don't want to get too far off here. And I know I'm the one who dragged us off the road in the first place. But if you don't have a super clear picture of what your character is like when you sit down for session one, 
that is not a problem. You are normal. <laughs> Carry on. Right. <laughs> you know? But it does mean that one of the things you may want and which there may not have been room for in the game so far is a chance to figure that stuff out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think when players are kind of tugging at the at the lead, as it were, they want to go do that very mm-hmm. often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, of course, another thing that they want to explore and express is the setting. Yeah. Um, and this. Mm-hmm. I think this is sort of where my experience with the kiddos comes in, because if you, as I prefer to do, start off a game basically saying, I want to make this world with you. And if mm-hmm. you make an if you have made an interesting, unique setting, I think especially with kids, they are going to want to play with it and test its limits and boundaries. And I saw this happen so freaking often with the kids, as in at a certain point they were like, hey, do we have enough money to buy houses? I'm like, I mean, yes, but you also have money to buy, you know, artifacts. And they were like, no, we're designing our houses today. We're (laughs) we're doing real estate today. I'm like, "Okay, Yeah. All right. And that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Some of that is just a desire to create. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's amazing. And I bet a lot of what we're talking about here could, could probably be boiled down to, but I want to make stuff and contribute to the game. Yeah, yeah. you know, um, that's a really good point. I think a lot of the time this is, whether the players even realize it or not, a desire for some more narrative control. Possibly, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quibble slightly with narrative. I think they want to be more equal contributors to the game. Whether that be narrative or setting or uh, just in terms of building up character, right? Like designing houses, that's not a narrative thing, but they're adding something and creating and, and yeah. adding to the collective fiction and the story. Yeah, I'll and they're giving – and I think, I think they also – just from some things that the kids also said later on, I think they thought they were doing me a favor because they were giving me more tools to play with in the game i mean they were yeah they weren't wrong yes (laughs) it's just hard when it's oh man these kids were so into making things up in this universe it was a lot to keep track of what a a terrible problem to have yeah i I am so happy they were so all of them so engaged it's just a lot yeah (laughs) very understandable yes um there is one other thing I want to talk about here. I uh, Well, okay, two things. First, another similar thing, and actually, Jenny, this ties in, I think, as well. A lot of times, I think someone at the table wants to kind of, like, add to the party in some way. They want to add mm. a character, like a pet, right? Oh, the pets. Oh, the pets. <laughs> yeah. But and that's and when I say a pet, I mm-hmm. mean that very generically. That can be, oh, I want to find the right horse. Yeah. In Peter's motorcycle desert, you know, fantasy cowboy kind of game, our unnamed one of our unnamed players and Chrissy spent three days real time finding horse pictures online to find exactly the right horse. And by horse, we mean iron horse because it was motorcycles. No, we do not. We do not. We mean horses. You're the one who railroaded them into motorcycles. Oh, okay. 
Well, yes. I mean, that was a, and, that was a technological different, aspect of the different setting. Different so. types of railroading is actually something Chrissy wants me to uh, bring up as a topic as well, by the way, <laughs> for exactly that reason. <laughs> because it's not just plot railroading. It's like, you know, setting railroading and like, no, but I don't want that for my character and that kind of thing. I so. do remember we were trying to figure out how to like um, use certain like paladin mount spells with, yeah, uh, with the motorcycle because. Chrissy yeah. wanted a horse. Yeah. So, you know, but that's a different thing. But that same idea of like, I want to add this cool, like cute character or interesting character and character here being very broadly like an NPC that has some personality like a pet or a, mm-hmm. a mount or something like that. You know, pe- people love doing that um, because it's something to emotionally bond with because we will bond with anything. <laughs> yes, there's entire you know, internet memes about that. Oh, yeah. yeah. On the flip side, I think sometimes people do this to avoid the plot. Mm-hmm. And that can be done for a couple of reasons. First, maybe there is something in the plot that they are uncomfortable with, and following the plot would just sort of raise their anxiety, and going and doing something else seems more comfortable right now. And that might be a Lines and Veils thing, or it might just be a heavy topic that they're comfortable with, but they don't have the the mental spoons for mm-hmm. handling right now. Or it could be they're just you overestimating know? the hazardousness of the situation like our Shadowrun game at the end. <laughs> yeah, could absolutely be that. That's a very real possibility. I, Peter, you're like this quite a lot. You you want to do all the side quests and get all the end game gear before you go finish the game. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I am, I am risk averse and cautious and tactically minded yeah. and these things... And in the game, like (laughs) and in role playing games, that's not bad because it's not like those are not opportunities for drama and storytelling and exploration. Yeah. Right. But, you know, you definitely like, oh, we're going to take on the big bad. We need as much advantage as possible. Yeah. Which is fine. Right. That that's perfectly valid. But you you do that. And so I think sometimes that has crept in occasionally. Yeah. I mean, um, just, I think just to give you just... um, listeners an example from this, um, the Colony game, we we went to take on uh, Auntie Bloat, who was kind of the Act One villain, which is Sea Hag and stuff. I had yep. recently finished listening to, I want to say it was the Caesar and Gaul hardcore se- history series, and I wanted to like replicate the like constructed on the fly rolling fortifications thing that the Roman army did to take on a sea hag. Yeah. <laughs> you were, CR2 you hag. were like, no, <laughs> <laughs> you did pull together like a task force. Let's call it. That. Ta- yeah. Task force. That's the term. Thank you. Uh, the only thing I could think of was like captain America's team from world war two. I can't <laughs> remember the name of it now. Like that's coming to mind, but I don't have the name, which is making this entire conversational element utterly useless. Um, <laughs> I don't remember either, but, but <laughs> yeah, you, you see, it's, it's really bothering me, but you pulled together like seven NPCs to go take out this, I think it was actually seven characters witch. total. It was the the nope. four player characters <laughs> plus um, nope. Rishi, the archer guy, and... There were several you Elder left Croucher. along the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was pretty great. Anyway. On I, the I think flip side of that, that, I think on the flip side of that, it can also be an indicator that they don't want to deal with numbers or a system. Yes, that happens a lot. I am... Chrissy. 
<laughs> there there were times when I was gaming with the kiddos where I was just like, hey guys, uh, remember you, <laughs> and this is much more of like a GM sort of pushing the players toward the mundane, but I was like, hey guys, you know you wanted a shopping trip episode? <laughs> This is the shopping trip episode because I can't <laughs> deal with big combat today. <laughs> yeah, but you know, on the other hand, I think players could very much be like, "I can't deal with a large, complex tactical fight today. I'd mm-hmm. rather go fishing." Yeah, you know, I want to go hang out in the tavern and talk today. I just, I that's what I have the mentality for. Mm-hmm. And I suspect in some cases, people just want to extend the campaign because they're having fun. They don't want to change the status quo or end the campaign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, there is also, I think, sometimes, and I think Jenny's got this kind of in her her section, there can be a desire to just see more of the world, like, I like this setting, show me more, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I I want to continue to exist in this imaginary space we have created Mm -hmm. together. I I like it, I want to stay here longer. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely had that feeling at the end of a campaign where I'm like, it was a good story, but I don't want this to stop. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you see so. this a lot in fan fiction writing. Yes, you fan do. fiction this is a writing. Really good point that I had not thought of. Uh, I wrote a lot of fan fiction in in high school. Uh, Fair. I've written one fan fiction piece since then. It's okay, but so much like fan fiction has a reputation for being really sort of uh, gross. But honestly, I would say the vast majority of fanfics out there are pure escapism for characters that have gone through so much. It's like, Mm -hmm. I really like these characters and I want them to have a good time (laughs) instead of the terrible time that the author has been giving them for seven books or something like that. Yeah. So, And that's because these are good characters. Yeah. And you are necessarily, when you're writing, like, you know, uh, a piece of fiction telling a story about a conflict. Mm-hmm. And so fan fiction, as you say, is that wonderful escapist time to just be like, let's just have a break. Yeah. Exist with this character, get in their head, enjoy their presence, and not have them go through all the terrible stuff. Yeah. And it's great. I think that this can be um, not exacerbated, not exaggerated, amplified to a certain extent in role play because people are are doing this a lot of the time because they identify with those characters in fiction. So mm-hmm. how much more intense is that feeling when the character is also kind of you? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's um, 100% true. So I I will also add that if you have gotten to the point where your players are writing fanfic about like their characters in the game, you are in a wonderful place with that game, most likely. Yeah. yeah. If people want to continue to spend time in this world and, you know, with these characters, by and large, things are good unless they're like trying to radically change things because there's not healthy communication of at the table. Yeah. Right. Where it's like we want to change this campaign fundamentally and kind of take over the narrative because what you're telling us sucks. Yeah, (laughs) I've I've heard those stories a few times, too. But I mean, like um, the the example that I always kind of go back to where I I really felt good to hear about this was like um, that same motorcycle game that fell apart due to mostly life reasons, honestly. 
Yeah. Chrissy was apparently so fond of her character that she had done some writing about that character's life that never even made it to the table. And What do you mean was doing writing? Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> wow. Okay. Callista lives on. Um, yeah, like she, I, I don't know anything about how far along she is because she doesn't let me read it, but I know she is continuing to write when she has time. Oh, so. well, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And no, nobody else will get to read it. If I don't get to read it, nobody else will get to read it. So <laughs> don't even ask. Wasn't planning on it. <laughs> yeah. I, a couple of things about this. I, I mentioned healthy communication. If this is happening and you see it happen, whether you see it as a player or as a GM, I think it's totally fine to just kind of hit pause and out of character ask everyone, okay, hold on. What are we trying to get out of this? And that's true of any role-playing moment, sure. just to be clear. But, you know, saying, all right, it sounds like you guys want to go do this. What do you want to get out of this? Is it X? Is it Y? You know, name a couple of these things. That's why we spent some time naming them is to put them in front of GMs and players consciously so that we can talk about them. Mm-hmm. Because I had to sit down for like 30 minutes and come up with this list. Okay? When you're in the moment at the table, you may not be able to be like, uh, no, it's actually this thing that I want, this this thing I'm trying to express. It's okay to talk that out. Take a minute and think about it. So it's great to talk talk about that at the table. Also, as a GM, this is a wonderful opportunity to practice yes and GMing mm-hmm. or even just sit back and say, okay, play among yourselves because who cares if they succeed or fail? The, the failure or success of whatever mundane task players want to go do to exist in this world longer is unlikely to be procedurally important. Yeah. Okay? If it is dramatically important, just let it work. Okay? Or let it fail if that's dramatically important. I have played out scenes where it's like, listen, it's really important that my character not get what he wants. <laughs> okay? I play... Not all of my characters are great people. Uh, certainly they are not always the most effective people. Let's just say that. <laughs> so it's okay to just say, look, this is the outcome I want. So why are we even rolling dice, right? Mm-hmm. And at that point, just let the players take the lead. Encourage them to do so. Say, yeah, that happens. And here's a thing. Let them narrate. Let players who aren't in the scene play the NPCs. You know, just let it, let it go. It's nothing really is on the line here. It's a good opportunity to do those things. Yep. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean the plot has to stop. Mm -hmm. The world can keep going. Yes. Yeah. I think a lot of if we are using this in a sort of a a ma type sense, this can be a really good way for characters to sort of regroup and talk with each other about how they feel about, you know, the world falling to pieces or how they feel mm-hmm. about, you know, an upcoming uh, obstacle that, that they're going to be facing. I think these are incredibly por- important to the plot, especially because it, it means that uh, it, the GM can sort of find out what the players are expecting and possibly tweak some things down the road so that it helps make the plot more satisfying for the players uh, in the end. Can I call out a game system real quick? This is another Powered by the Apocalypse game, Fellowship. Hmm. 
I've talked about fellowship before. Uh, I was in a very good fellowship campaign that unfortunately had eight players where the maximum suggested is like four or five. And that mechanically matters for the reasons I'm about to explain. (laughs) Fellowship has this wonderful system where it's all about telling the story and having the, the plot of the adversary progress behind the scenes and the player characters have to spend time catching up. But time they spend resting and recovering the adversary gets to make a move and make progress in one of his schemes. Mm. Which was a huge problem when we had eight characters who needed to rest and have signs. It turns out that threw the balance off way too much and the adversary was always going to be ahead and get further ahead. Mm. But that is that actually formalizes, Jenny, what you just talked about. This idea mm-hmm. of... Having these, like, because there are rules for scenes where characters sit down and talk and, you know, either create new bonds or get rid of bonds between characters and recover just by talking to each other. But things still continue to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would str- I would recommend if you're interested in a really good fantasy game that is nothing like, you know, D20 role-playing systems pick up fellowship it's amazing um and that that's one of the things that i really like about it all right something else that i i should mention once you've kind of established what you want the scene to be the next question you have to ask is what is the pace because you know jenny just mentioned that the plot doesn't have to stop but you still have to think about what do we want this scene to actually kind of look and feel like if you're playing a tense thriller maybe you need that calm upbeat session to relieve some tension before you get back into it again that ma right that Mm -hmm. space to relax so that you then feel the tension more when you get back into it and you know that contrast is evident likewise if you've had a kind of slower paced couple of sessions maybe pick it up you know kick things up a notch add some wildness some fantastic genre elements to it you know whatever it is something to just up the tempo and that does mean that you have to think about how you want to take this mundane thing and if appropriate genreify it you know there's a big difference between i've i'm going fishing and i'm going fishing caught a mountain-sized fish and have been pulled in circles around the lake and I have to pull myself up the fishing line and, you know, steer the the fish by its fin. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right? That's a totally cool thing that could happen. The question is, is that appropriate for the scene the players want to have happen? Yeah. Yeah. And I actually have a a pretty good cluster of advice on um, kind of how to do that as we get into the yeah. back of the episode. Well, let's, let's get into that. That's actually what mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to lead into okay. is so you know what you want to do, how and where and when and why and so on. Okay. Let's talk yeah. about this. So um, I've got this kind of broken out in the old who, what, when, where, why, and how writing advice. So your your players have decided to go off and do some mundane activity. It doesn't really matter what. I'm just going to run through the questions and we can kind of tackle them in their traditional order here. So first question is who? Obviously the player characters, uh, all or some number of them, but who else are they going to run into? Uh, 
perhaps some allies. The PCs might bump into some friendly NPCs, get a chance to see them in their daily lives instead of in their kind of adventuring capacity. Uh, this is especially good if they've gotten attached to a specific NPC. Once again, this was us with Rishi all the time in Grant's Colony game. We just liked him so much that we found excuses to go involve him in stuff that we didn't really need to involve him in, but it's like... <laughs> you just showed up to sleep over at his house. A few times, yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> hey man, he was an awesome bird person. Okay, I have no regrets. Most bird I make no apologies. I'm just saying. Um, I kind of on the flip side of that. Uh, in certain types of games, it could be really interesting to have the party run into their enemies in a neutral setting where they really can't confront each other. This can be used to humanize their opposition, or you can learn something that might potentially be useful later. Maybe you see, you know, your rival or your adversary purchasing something that they might potentially use on you at some point and they don't mm -hmm. notice. It's also, well, real quick, that's also a wonderful opportunity to have an encounter with the opposition with completely different tone. Yeah, and explore things completely differently. The thing that jumps to my mind immediately is uh, one of the earlier seasons of the new She-Ra cartoon. Okay. Mm -hmm. There's a basically a big formal event where Katra and uh, Adora are both there. Yes. And it's basically like a formal ball. Yes, I love that And they're dancing together. It's so and good. So, it's so good. And it devolves into some action eventually. But, you know, for a lot of it, they're just there being snide at each other. Mm -hmm. It's high school dance drama. There was <laughs> something like that with a ball in um, my friend Kevin's game that I played back in the day. And that was really interesting, too, because it's like you're you're in this courtly setting with all of these eyes on you. And like mm -hmm. the moment somebody pulls out a sword, it's going to cause utter chaos. So you really right. can't. But there was there well, was like, hang on, let me let me finish. There yeah, was like yeah. um, a couple of the party members like did stuff to like impress the, the people around with their dancing skills. There was some like kind of, you know, the, the whole like courtly veiled threat thing that you see in fiction a lot. And it was oh, it yeah. was really cool. You know what game does this better than any other? Burning Wheel? Nope. Vampire the Masquerade. Really? Yep. Okay. <laughs> you're it's there literally to made for it. It's, that's exactly what it's, it's for. Literally that, that's the made real to do thing that. that Vampire is all about is getting together in these gatherings of vampires <laughs> under the watchful eye of somebody who's making sure nothing actually happens and you're all maneuvering for position and sniping at each other and, you know, forming alliances and being all politic in vampire court. And then once you leave, that gets paid off. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, right? I can I can totally like see that. Like, that is what Vampire's about at a fundamental level. And having never actually played Vampire, that didn't come to my mind, but you're absolutely right. Like, the the reading that I've been doing, yeah, that is that is the fun of that game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and this is, again, a wonderful place for setting texture to happen, right? Who else is around you know, are you going shopping? Who do you see in the marketplace? They're not like interesting and in, they're not NPCs you're going to involve yourself with. But like who gets to shop in this market? Like, is this upscale? Is this downscale? What's going on here? Right. That kind of thing. One of the most famous examples of this from uh, like a widely known IP is Pumat Soul, 
who has just like started out <laughs> as a magical shopkeeper in one of the Critical Role games. And there's like okay. all of this yeah. fan art of this character and stuff now. And <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know who I would throw out for that is Dibbler from Terry Pratchett. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Good old cut me on throat Dibbler. <laughs> you know, he's never important, but when he shows up, it's, it kind of means something and adds texture. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Did you did you ever read the one where there's like every culture has a Dibbler? Yes, I did. It's delightful. <laughs> yeah. um, and then, of course, what? Right. Yeah. What are we doing? And again, how is that genrefied in some? Yeah. Way? What what makes it different from the version of fishing or shopping or something that you do in the real world? Um, you yeah. know, like Grant was saying kind of earlier on in the episode, is the fish the size of a mountain and needs to be wrangled in some way or will pull you around? Avatar did this very well. Yes. Uh, so did Legend of Korra, actually. Well, it's, yeah. Well, it's what I mean, that whole IP. Yes. Both series. Yeah. yeah, that whole IP. It, there's definitely this. Oh, yeah, we're going fishing. Don't worry. It's only, you know, a 40 foot long monster fish or whatever. Like, oh, we're, it works like this. I did not expect that, even though. OK. Hmm. Huh. You all know, right. you know, uh, what other IP did all of all of this very, very well? The mm. Citadel DLC in Mass Effect 3 did a phenomenal job mm. of okay. amplifying the activities and settings and, and putting them in a futuristic environment. Um, so taking the mundane and ma making mm, it I very futuristic yeah, okay. uh, and giving you a break from saving the universe and all of that. Yes. Um, yeah. I love the yes. Citadel DLC. Uh, yeah. speaking, it's fantastic. Of, speaking of Mass Effect, I am very much looking forward to those remasters when they come out. If you have not heard elsewhere, EA is planning on doing remastered versions with all the DLC built in, and I cannot wait. Cool. Maybe I'll get past the first mission. One would hope, because you will love certain things <laughs> in the later parts of that series. I think, I think it's only of, uh, one, and, one and two. That's fine. Uh, that's fine. That's I thought I saw it was the whole trilogy someplace, but either way, like, is good stuff. Okay, so yeah. we, we've done, we've done, uh, what... Yep. We've got when. when. Yeah. OK. So what other events are happening at the same time as the PC's mundane activities? Is there like a, you know, some kind of a natural phenomenon like a meteor shower or the Aurora Borealis or something? Is there a mm -hmm. festival? And before we get too far afield here, I want to cut in and remind you that festival doesn't necessarily just mean like. Uh, colorful tents and stuff. The festival can be Comic Con. Festival can be the Sturgis Biker Festival. You know that that happens every year. You know what's a wonderful example? Mm. This is a real one. Chrissy and I are trying to figure out how to get to it. There is a punk flea market in Greenville. I want to go. Wow, that's, I know that's cool. I want to <laughs> go. Not even all that I discovered, punk, but that just sounds really interesting. Vintage clothes, toys, taxidermy, handmade jewelry, retro video games, comics and vinyl, uh, B movie memorabilia skateboards just sounds like the best thing ever honestly it sounds yeah. fantastic it's so good but that i mean when we talk about a festival that like just think of like events right you know maybe there's just a street market happening maybe somebody's throwing a birthday party yeah yeah just and the other thing let, is too is let people let other people exist at the same time yeah mm -hmm. and i i think i was one of the things i want to get at with this is the players don't actually have to interact with the thing. It just has to be no. present. 
Um, yeah, like it kind of just marks it. We didn't as do much, much with uh, Horvu back in your colony game, but no. it definitely added some interesting culture to the the entire Kenku society because it's like, oh, you come in and you know there's like all this colorful stuff hanging up in different places, and you know people are doing things. It's like we're not here for what even is this you know <laughs> and they just kind of looked at you it's horvu how can you not know about horvu you know like, yeah exactly because we're from an entirely different part of the world and we don't have horvu where we come from well you're missing no. out you know yeah exactly too bad one thing i do want to add real quick and this ties back to what jenny and i were talking about earlier with time passing this can be done i'm not going to say badly but in a, a way that is silly and breaks immersion yeah. And I'm going to glare very pointedly here at Final Fantasy VII <laughs> and its giant meteor. Ah. Okay? Because there, for those who maybe haven't played this, right at the end of the game, you, you've been on a very linear quest line throughout all of the game. And then right before the final boss fight, it's like, okay, the world has now opened up and there's a bunch of involved side quests you can go do to like explore things involving other characters and power up for the end fight and you know get challenges that are frankly much harder than the final boss is going to be that sort of thing uh final fantasy 10 actually has some of this as well it's kind of a a square soft thing from from some of that era Alrighty, but <sighs> chrono trigger actually did the same thing but the problem is the plot basically says the bad guy's dropping a giant meteor on the planet and you need to go fight him, which will somehow stop it. Don't worry about it. Wasn't the most coherent game. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but literally, there is a meteor with a trail visible in the atmosphere. This this rock is four times the size of the moon in terms of how much space in the sky it takes up. And there's 20 hours of gameplay available to you before that moment actually comes back into play. So you're running around the world with this meteor hanging over your head for at least 20 hours. Yeah, just like yeah. some bizarre sort of Damocles. Just It's just up there. It, well, and it goes from, oh, this is tense to, this is very silly. About <laughs> yeah. an hour. Because that meteor hasn't moved, you know? Like, yeah. mm -hmm. Make sure that you're not lampshading the progress of plots so heavily and screwing up the flow of time so heavily that it's like, you should be doing anything else except fishing right now. <laughs> you know, like if this is a thing you want, take some of that pressure off because you will look ridiculous and the players will feel like you're just sort of ruining the moment. Yeah. Okay. Quick note on when. Carry on. Let's talk about where. Yeah. Okay. We're so, going to a place to do a thing. Yeah. What's it like? How's the location itself interesting? So I've got here for shopping, um, shopping in a fantasy bazaar or on a space station or in a bazaar on a space station. Shopping is, and just to be clear, shopping is the number one version of this. Yeah. There's a big difference between I need armor for my fantasy character and I need armor uh, from this blacksmith. <laughs> Armor from this blacksmith versus I need armor for my cyberpunk character. Right. Because those shopping trips will be very different. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing that I'd like to throw in here with this one specifically is for this, think of interesting real world locations that you can draw inspiration from. Uh, there's there's 
more of these out there than you think. Uh, if you grab like the weird place name book for wherever it is that you happen to live, I guarantee you, you will find some stuff there. But there's places like Wall Drug or the House on the Rock. And if you don't know either one of those real world locations, go Google them. Yeah. You will not be sorry. Punk you did. Flea market. Yeah, the Punk Flea Market. The, um, you know, the, there's, you know, a bunch of like. I know here in the United States, at least, we have lots of these tiny little like local museums of like mm-hmm. weird, interesting things that are pretty much just a local concern and don't really get a lot of attention outside of what area they happen to be physically present in. But, yep. you know, those kinds of things can be neat, especially because those are and particularly in like any kind of um a modern game with some kind of weird elements to it, like, you know, your Delta Greens or your, um, you know, anything with the Cthulhu mythos or unknown armies or that sort of thing. Those are the places where you're going to need to go to shop for the weird stuff that you need because no place normal will carry it. (laughs) And and if I can, one of the very common forms this I want to go do something mundane takes on is I want to go to the tavern and drink and meet people. Mm -hmm. Okay. To put a very vague bland generic fantasy rapper on this idea right. of I want to go to a place where people are and socialize in a somewhat stock manner. There's a big difference between I've gone to the most popular bar, the most high-end bar, the most low-end bar, and the bar nobody knows about. Yeah, or the okay. bar that nobody goes to because that's a scary place. Right. Those are all very different experiences. Think about what that means. You know, huge crowds versus very specific crowds. You get wildly different experiences out of that. And, you know, ask around, like, what is this for? And often the player character or the player will have some opinion. Like, I want to go to this kind of thing because that's what my character would do. But if you can dig in a little more and be like, okay, what what experience do we actually want to get out of this scene? Maybe that's not appropriate. Right. The the quick tropey uh, first guess at what my character would do might not be the best thing for the scene we actually want to have that character go through. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this also is set dressing. Is there a cool ringed moon visible outside the space station shop? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there like some interesting flora or fauna uh, around? I I've actually gotten some really good responses out of the players in my um my sunday game by just describing kind of the more fantastical elements of the places that they're in one of Mm. one of those that this was just a totally winged off the cuff thing that has become kind of a i don't want to call it an important setting element because it hasn't really changed the plot or anything in any way but it's become a signifier of certain things there Mm -hmm. is a specific flowering vine in the setting that I have created that gives off these pheromones that have just this kind of gentle calming effect when you're around. It's not weird or creepy or anything. It's just like you can kind of just feel the tension bleed off of you if you were like, you know, tired or stressed or something like that. It's just the intensity of it is just a little bit less around this thing. There's like a pheromone thing going on there. And so they first encountered this in a this kind of isolated society and these vines were growing around a lot of like the important buildings and 
you know, places where people would meet in that sort of a thing. And it just kind of conveyed the sense that these people kind of have this gentle community kind of an aspect to them where it's like, you know, you come to this um, important place, there might be important business going on here. You know, so we've planted this flower here to give you something pretty to look at. And also because it just kind of makes you a little bit less stressed. Put stuff yeah. like that into your games, mm -hmm. you know, it's like and the other thing, too, is don't be afraid to put stuff like that into your games and not know exactly why it's there as long as it isn't just totally immersion breaking to have it in the setting. Like, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. you you find these, you know, beautiful flowers on this vine. Something about the smell makes you feel a little more calm and relaxed. Yeah. I'll figure out the rest <laughs> hey, of the lore for this later, you know? Right. Hey, you're going to go drink at the tavern? What if this is like the fantasy hard rock cafe? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's yeah. just kitsch everywhere on the walls. Mm -hmm. That's more interesting. It's not meaningful, but it's more interesting. Yeah, cool. In general, I think this is one of the best opportunities that anybody is going to have to improve on one of the most common supposed weaknesses that I hear about from GMs is that they don't know how to improv a setting and they do not know how to describe the visuals of a setting. This is how you get better at doing that. Mm -hmm. Yep. Start small. Yeah. Yeah. And Absolutely. actually this is, this is, um this is not only good practice because it's low stakes. It's also good practice because let's be honest, like in the real world, there are so many more mundane locations than adventurous ones. Like oh, yeah. for every airport yeah. or military base or like, you know, Stonehenge or something like that. There's a zillion ordinary houses, shopping malls, dentist offices. Like yeah. I would also say that airports and military bases are not free of mundanity either. No, they no, certainly are not. Airports exist in this weird liminal space where time and money are not real. <laughs> uh, but there's uh, they also just have true. a McDonald's. Yeah, <laughs> and so. Roll with yeah, it. Airports are so weird. I've only been in them a couple of times, and it's just the, the there's a yeah. marked feeling of surreality of being at an airport. Oh, I know. It's it's one of the strangest spaces we create for ourselves. They're great. So funny thing. The next question Peter has written down here is why, and we've talked a lot about the metagame reasons for why, but we haven't really talked about the hook for why the character's actually going there in character yeah. to do it. Why, why, do, why are the characters there? I mean, like, you know, we, we did talk about a lot about why do the players want to put the characters there, but what's the in-game yeah. justification, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and this can be, obviously, we cannot sit here and talk about all the options for this because it's a literally infinite set of reasons, but maybe it's an invitation, maybe it's something an NPC brought in, you know, and suggested. Maybe they're just like, hey, I'm... I've been struck by the whim to go do this thing. Maybe I need a new mount and we're going to go mount shopping, whatever. Yeah. There's billions of options I mean, available honestly, to you. One of the most common reasons is we just got back for, in a D and D game anyways, I should say. And this is very specific to that specific variety of fantasy, but um, hey, you know, lots of people, including us, play that, so it's worth addressing. One of the most common manifestations of this is we just got back from a dungeon. We are flush with treasure and want to, like, trade in the stuff that we're not going to use and spend the, like, the liquid, you know, assets like gems and gold and yeah. 
That is not just a D&D thing. That's actually a, a built-in part of impulse drive, for example. Okay, I can believe that once too. You, once you finish a mission, you have it's like, okay, we're going to uh, use the, the hey big spender move and go get stuff. Yeah. Right? Because we have rewards uh, for completing things. And it's part of the whole character advancement process. But you also have opportunities to be like, hey, I'm going to go buy this thing for myself. That is something you could easily turn into a role played out scene, right? Mm-hmm. Have have at, and then finally, how? Yeah, this is kind of a combination of a lot of these, but also just going to the place is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so getting from point A to point B via walking, steam train, um, an FTL craft, and on Dragonback are all very different experiences. So you want to kind of play up the things that make the experience unique. Good and bad and whatever yeah. ratio that those come in. Um, right. We talked about the fishing thing like, oh, yeah, we're catching a giant fish. Well, that is different from catching, you know, just like normal little fish out in a, on a rowboat in the middle of a lake somewhere. Yeah. To give you another example, and I, I was a little critical of myself for this one in a previous episode, and I have come back around to thinking that eh, this was probably a better idea than I originally gave it credit for at the time when we were recording that one. Um, my players just wrote an elevator up to something. They were in this this kind of this last remnant of this very functional kind of techno magical society where, you know, the magic was very advanced and had been kind of technologified, you know, <laughs> and they rode this elevator up to the, like this platform that these airships that they wanted to go and check out were on. And so they step onto this big section of flooring and there's like these giant trees on either side of this thing. And the branches on this tree, these trees just kind of reach down and kind of slowly like handed this platform up to each other all the way up. My players thought that was great (laughs) because it was it was, you know, it's like it's an elevator, but it's also something unique and different and, you know, fun and peculiar to this particular part of this setting you won't see those types of elevators anywhere else in the world. So they, they liked that. I think a more even further meta way to go at the question of how as well is if you are in, as many people are these days, uh, an online game, this is also a good time to bring in your Google image skills because mm, yeah. this is the, this is how you can easily describe a setting or an activity in a new setting uh, to your players. There is exactly like zero shame in being like, hey, hold up. I have the exact perfect image in mind. I'm going to I'm going to Google it right quick so that you guys know exactly where you are and and what you're doing. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's. Very good advice. <laughs> the The other thing, too, is if you are if you have some warning that your players are going to do this, like, you know, a lot of the time they'll ask to do this sort of thing kind of at the end of a session. Uh, I don't know mm-hmm. if that's particular to my experience or what, but it, it seems like a lot of the time you you get some chance to prep for this. In a scenario like that, you can go out and like actively seek out those image resources and stuff ahead of time and just have them sitting there. And if you have not spent any time on uh, ArtStation, 
oh boy, go there. It's a huge <laughs> collection of concept art from like video games and tabletop games and other people in like the concept art and 3D rendering community. I like it. I like going there better than places like DeviantArt and stuff because everybody yeah. who's posting to ArtStation is a professional and you don't have to wade through a bunch of just junk. <laughs> um, <laughs> DeviantArt is is wonderful in certain ways. You know, it, it does a lot to like elevate sm smaller time artists. I, I'm not going to like deride the concept of it because I think there's some good stuff there. However, if your goal is to find an image of a cool thing for my role playing game, your experience will be much more efficient at concept art sites. So keep that in yeah. mind. All right. Any final points on this? Anything we've missed? Not for me. I, I think I'm good. I think a thing I really want to drive home is that if your players do all of a sudden go off the path that you'd beaten out for them and just want to do something that sounds like it's boring to you. This is not necessarily a negative reflection of your skill as a GM. They are not necessarily inherently or yeah, excuse me. They are not you know just doing this because they think you're a bad GM or because they think they can do it better. Look at this as an opportunity. Absolutely do, you know, if it seems like they are trying to avoid something or if it seems like something is wrong, you know, ask them about it. But a lot of the time, this is a sign that you're doing a good job of something. So yeah. so it's not always a bad thing. Yeah, it's it's funny because I, I just I, I want to agree with you a little more verbosely there. It's been my experience that almost all GMs that are worth playing with once again, almost qualifier, but it's very, very common, have at least some level of performance anxiety and or imposter syndrome about GMing. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the time we GMs being a self-critical lot will interpret a lot of these kind of unusual seeming requests through a very self-critical lens. And a lot of the time they aren't, you know, it's like, um, like Jenny said, you know, earlier on and also just now, like, Show me more of your world is a very positive thing from your players. Mm -hmm. Don't take that as, oh, my story is not interesting or I'm not holding their interest with my plot or something. It's like this is this is the RPG version of I like this book so much that I'm having a hard time finishing it because I don't want it to end. Yeah. So just keep that in mind yeah. as you're having yourself talk, you know, and my final point on this would be. We've been talking about this from the GM perspective. This is very much a player-driven thing. It is, yeah. <laughs> Fight for it, please, players. Yes. Yeah. Okay? Make it a thing. Have fun with it. If you want to go do this scene, just step and be like, hey, we're doing this. You know? And like, no, don't worry about it. I, we'll cover it. You know, just just yes and us through it. You'll be fine. Or, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you let, uh, let Peter handle that NPC and Jenny handle that one and you just, you know, I don't know, uh, go get more pizza or whatever, you know? To, to pull the GM pizza trope card out. Um, <laughs> I mean, be, you, know, you know, be careful about like chasing your thing. GM away from the table if they're going to be sensitive about that. But yeah, chase them away. That That's, that's my <laughs> suggestion. Rebel, revolt. You have nothing to lose but plot thread. Um, <laughs> the players have nothing to lose but their railroad. <laughs> exactly. Hey, have fun with it. Make it a, make it a thing and 
definitely don't shy away from it out of some sense that this will disrupt the game. I promise done well, it will enhance the game, especially if you feel like you've had a very consistent tone. Something to contrast that tone is delightful. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, I think the other thing, too, here is this is predicated on the idea that you have a fairly collaborative gaming group. If you don't have one, this is a good way of gently nudging things in that direction. And But in that case, you have to be a little more meta about it. Be like, hey, you know, I feel like, you know, it'd be cool to have a little bit more of a say in things. I would like to do this. It shouldn't really affect the plot any, but can we play around in this world a little? You know, you can you mm-hmm. can be polite about this, but it's not a it's not a bad thing to kind of advocate for. Yeah. All right. And I think that's a good spot to wrap this up. Obviously we always want to hear from listeners when we bring up topics like this, we want to hear how you've done it. What great moments have you had doing this sort of thing as a player? Uh, What delightful scenes do you have? These like, these are the gaming stories we want to hear about because they're not, I rolled a crit and then I rolled another crit. This is, I had a really good meaningful moment doing something completely mundane in the middle of this big dramatic story. Those are amazing. Yeah, those are mm-hmm. those are stories. really fun stories because it 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 gives you all the stuff we've been talking about, right? It, it lets you talk about yeah. what made that campaign unique in whatever way it was. Exactly. So please share those with us and do that either through Twitter or on Twitter as saving the game. We're on Facebook as saving the game and We've got a Discord and a website where you can find the blog post and all the show notes uh, for this. Guess what? That's stgcast.org. And if you really want to, we're on Patreon as well, patreon.com slash saving the game. Uh, I should remind everyone we are also on coffee, ko-fi.com slash saving the game. There's a button on our website that takes you to that. So if you want to do like a one-time donation instead of a recurring donation, coffee's better for that than Patreon is because you have to like set it up wait for the thing to go the next month and then cancel your, your donation. It, yeah, there's there's a no lot like, of work there. Just, yeah. Just pay mm-hmm. them once button through Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> and coffee's all about that. So, you know, and we again appreciate that support. If you want to support us in some way other than financially, and I understand that financial support is tough for a lot of people right now, spread the word about us, tell a friend, tell a family member, tell somebody at church, yeah. Tell somebody at work, you know, be like, hey, I'm listening to this cool thing and I think you would like this. You know, share it with your gaming group if we've given them good advice. Send it to somebody in your gaming group like, hey, that thing you wanted to do, they talked about it on this episode. This is what we meant. Yeah, Please, I, I want to throw something at that because I've kind of taken over more of the back end administration. We have a wonderful, loyal, like um, core group of listeners that has been roughly the same size for several years. So if you've got, you know, some folks that are willing to listen to gaming podcasts in your sphere, send them our way. Like, um, (laughs) absolutely. You know, it's I I realize that our kind of faith based aspect can be a hard sell with certain people. Tell them about Chris Newton, (laughs) our biggest (laughs) atheist fan, I think. So exactly shout out to chris yeah. uh, mega Dumbcast uh, has started a new season and they are no longer doing the dumbest thing on the page of palladium books they're doing the the uh most secret thing on each page of secrets of shadowloo Ooh. from the street fighter role-playing game by white wolf and oh it's my. very good <laughs> I'm, I'm very much enjoying that 
Anyway, spread the word about us. Uh, and of course, rate, review us on iTunes, share us around on social media. That helps a ton. We appreciate it. Yeah. That. <laughs> and from all of us here at Saving the Game, have a good one. Take it easy. We'll catch you next time, folks. See you later, See folks. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilor.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.